So please turn with me to John chapter 9 this morning. We're going to finish up talking about this man who was born blind. <clears throat> Last week we spent time talking about Jesus' statement there at the beginning, the reason why this man was born blind. And so this week we're going to get more into the actual narrative that follows out from this man's story and the Pharisees and the pesky neighbors and all the different people that are involved in this in this little story. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Lord, we pray that you would open your word to us, that you would um, open our hearts, that we might see the truth of it, that you would convict us of sin. Uh, we have many sins in our lives, many of which... We're, un, we're unsure of, we're unclear of, we might not even realize that we're doing it because like the man in the story, we are blind in some degree. And so, Lord, open our eyes that we might see those things that are keeping us from worshiping you, that are keeping us from seeing you fully and truly. Uh, show us those things that we are worshiping, that we are holding in higher esteem. Then we hold you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I thought about, uh, as I thought about this passage this week, it made me think about um, classical music, and particularly classical music that's played on strings. One of my favorite things to watch is someone who's a very good guitarist or a mandolinist play like a piece of classical music. Because uh, a mandolin in particular is a really small instrument, just has a few octaves on it, but a really skilled musician can take something like a Bach prelude or a sonata and just play the whole thing. A uh, good example of this is a man by the name of Chris Thiele. You've probably heard me talk about him before. I'm completely enamored with his work. Um, he's, in my mind, the greatest living musician today. And he has this little mandolin, and he can, from memory, play an entire Bach prelude or sonata, like 13 minutes long worth of music, a lot of notes. If you listen to Bach, a lot of notes. And he just does it from memory and does it perfectly. However, if you watch these, video on these videos on YouTube, which I usually do, everyone else on YouTube is also a virtuoso, apparently. And they can take one of his works of art and they can also, they can pick it apart and say, well, in, in one minute and 43 seconds, he... It was a little slow on that note or whatever. Um, and Or any kind of work of art. It, everyone on the Internet is an expert, and they all have a, a scathing opinion about your work, whatever it is. They can take something beautiful, and they can step all over it as if it's just mud. And so why is this? Well, something like a box sonata is meant to be appreciated as a whole. For what it is, it's a it's a masterful thing. It'll never be done again. We won't have another Bach. Not each individual note and every possible imperfection, but to see it is what it is at its best. And so in John chapter 9, Jesus heals this blind man. And as we began talking about that last week, he heals this blind man. And it's going to garner the attention of many different types of people. Some neighbors that are nearby, 
his parents, and of course our friends, the Pharisees. And and though we only have recorded just a few people who received sight after being blind, these folks will focus on everything else but the fact that there's someone who stands before them that can now see. They will look at every other little thing that could possibly be wrong that isn't actually wrong, rather than see the truth of what's going on. For instance, this man received sight on the Sabbath, and they believed that a sinner healed him. And maybe he was never blind to begin with. It's amazing the different stories that they come up with. People will do a lot to hide the truth. Rather than making their own scene, their own sin seem real, they'll make their own sin really small, or they'll make the sin of others so big that you can't see anything else. So we're going to look at that idea today. We're going to see Jesus, of course, here in the middle of it, who brings redemption in the midst of this type of deception that we deal with constantly. And so we're going to look at these at three points. Seeing the Sabbath, but missing the prophet. Seeing the sin, but missing the cure. And then, lastly, bowing at the feet of Jesus rather than your own. And so with that, let's stand together and read the text. We're going to look at verses 8 through 41 of John chapter 9. 8 through 41. The neighbors and those who had been with him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. And others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my, anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called his parents of the man until they called the parents of the man who had been, who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son? Who you say was born blind? How then does he see? Or how then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Christ, or Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing, that I, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And he said to them, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him and, or near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So again, remember, Jesus told us last week that this man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus calls himself, again, the light of the world. And this man is now seeing that light, if only faintly. I think that this blind man's progression as we go through this story, is, is a, really mimics in some ways our own conversion experience. And as we move from regeneration, where our hearts are first made new, to the time that we actually call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and receive salvation, we see that kind of progression happening in this man in this story. Even as one who had just come alive, so to speak, he is able to spout one of the greatest testimonies in Scripture, I believe. And then he stands toe-to-toe with the religious elites of the day. And so I think as an aside, before we get into the real meat of this text, I think it's a good idea to see this man as a new believer in some senses and notice how he makes zero excuses before going up against the most learned unbelievers in the land. Training and practice and all these things have their merit. And in order to prepare a very sound apologetic, it's a good thing to, to, to train and read and understand. And you have to do your homework. You have to practice. You have to put yourself in situations where your skills are going to be used. And that's a good thing. However, this man, as a brand new Christian, puts himself right in the midst of these Pharisees who supposedly knew everything definitely acted as if they did. And so I think that we'd do well to take note of that. But sometimes it's just a good idea to jump right into the conversation and let the Lord sort out all the details. This man on paper had no business really tangling with the Pharisees. However, he leaves them with their tail between their legs. 
and no recourse but to kick him out. And so I think that's a great example for us all. But let's get to the text. And first point, seeing the Sabbath but missing the prophet. And so again, these neighbors, they're in verses 8 through 12. They questioned this blind man, and then they brought him to the Pharisees. And John, the writer of this, is sure to remind us all throughout this chapter, as I was reading, I don't know if you noted, but how many times are we told the man formerly blind, the man who just received sight, the man who was blind and now can see, and all he, over and over again we were told this. It's a big deal. And so here in verse 13, the fair, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. We're reminded of this throughout the text. And I think we're also told that this is the Sabbath quite a bit. These are important concepts here. No one before had ever been, had ever received sight, having been born blind. It's kind of a big deal if you think about it. I think we gloss over these things in Scripture oftentimes, but this is pretty incredible. He just a few minutes had been begging on the side of the road, and now he can see anything. And here he is on the Sabbath. Well, what happened on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus made mud, and he also opened the eyes of this blind man. Two things here that bothered the Pharisees. Not only this act of healing, because Jesus has done that before, right? He's upset the Pharisees by, by healing a man on the Sabbath. But now, he's made it even worse by making mud, which apparently is also a uh, an infraction of the Sabbath. Because the Pharisees, remember, have all these extra biblical laws that they've made in order to make themselves look like uh, crown princes when it comes to the following of the Sabbath. And so now Jesus has made mud, which apparently is a bad thing, and he's also healed a man, and so he is a Sabbath breaker. And so the Pharisees here get hung up on this idea of Sabbath keeping. Not to say that keeping the Sabbath isn't a good thing. It is a good thing. We all should keep the Sabbath. The Lord set it aside so that we would do that. It's a good thing. Yet, according to the law designed to make the Pharisees look good, Jesus was now a Sabbath-breaking sinner. And because of this, they questioned his ability to even heal this man at all. Because, what did they say? Well, how can a sinner do this? This man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them, apparently, about this. It's obvious that this man can see. So how did it happen? They were bothered by this. So again, they asked the man, Well, what do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? And I love the man's response. He is a prophet. Remember what Jesus said when the blind man was still blind? And he was sitting there listening. You can imagine the disciples and Jesus walking by. And the disciple says, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And here's this blind man sitting there um, begging. And then Jesus, of course, tells him to go. He rubs mud on his eyes and tells him to go wash in this pool. He was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him, is what Jesus said. And what else did he say? As long as I am in the world, I 
am the light of the world. Did Jesus live up to what he say, said? Were the works of God displayed in this man? Jesus, the light of the world, driving out the literal darkness that this man experienced day in and day out. And now this man's, he has eyesight. He has a brand new set of eyes. Wasn't Jesus the prophet just simply doing what had always been prophesied of him? We read from the uh, from Isaiah chapter 35 in the call to worship this morning that the blind will receive sight, the lame will walk, the, the muted tongue will be loosed. Turn to Isaiah chapter 61 with me real quick. And, and I'll say of Isaiah 61, as you do any personal study in the uh, Gospels, you should just have this printed out and, and pinned to your desk so that you can be reminded of it. Because this is what Jesus stood up and read, that this is now fulfilled in your hearing. This is the work that I'm here to do. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. He is a prophet. He is the one who the prophets talked about. He is doing the work that they said he would do. He is setting free the captives, of, once this, of which this blind man was just previously one. He is a prophet says the brand new believer. Yet the Pharisees don't see it because they want to see the law rather than the lawgiver. Jesus is where the law and grace come together perfectly. Yet the Pharisees just wanted the law. They didn't want grace. They honestly saw themselves as better than this new believer simply because they kept the Sabbath. And that leaves little to no room for Jesus. And we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that we do this same thing. We like to pick that little thing that makes us the best kind of Christian. We like to do that. And we let that little thing become what makes us holier than everybody else. That thing that we feel like we do better than anyone else. For the Pharisees, it was keeping the Sabbath. And Christians can come up with some very odd notions of personal holiness. Some really odd notions. Lifestyle, things that people do. I don't want to go into it too much. Um, but, I mean, you guys understand what I'm saying. But they also come up with some really good ones. Some good notions of personal holiness that are great things aside from them thinking that this is the thing, this one thing is what makes me better than everybody else because I'm so good at it. This is my source of righteousness. 
rather than Jesus Christ himself. Personal Bible study and devotion. Evangelism. I mean, for some, it's Sabbath keeping. I have friends that they are, they are so hung up on the Sabbath that I don't know that they've even prayed to Jesus recently. Giving. Uh, reading the Puritans. Uh, that may not be a problem in this room. Uh, but I know, I have friends that I think they read the Puritans more than they read the Apostles. And that is their little source of righteousness. And they look down upon anyone who doesn't do that. I mean, name it. We're idol factories, brothers and sisters. We will make something good, like the Puritans, for instance, and we will make that into our source of righteousness readily. We will take something good like the Sabbath. That day seven, God said he, he rested from his efforts and that he, we should take the Sabbath. It's a good thing that we should use it to remember what the Lord's done for us, that we should use it to rest from our labors. But we'll take that thing and we'll make it our righteousness. We'll accept what those things can give us, which is, they're good things. Personal Bible study, all these things are very good things. But they will earn us hell compared to the righteousness that we owe a holy God. We need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We need what he can give us. We need him. The Pharisees missed that. Turn to Matthew 11 with me real quick. And I think this is a great connection for us to understand Jesus and the Sabbath and, and a good balance here. Matthew 11, look at verse 6. Remember John sent his disciples wondering if he he should be looking for someone else. In verse 6, Jesus answers, well, let's uh, look at 4 through 6. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And we go on, and keep in mind what Jesus or what the Pharisees are trying to gain from the Sabbath. What are they trying to gain from the Sabbath? Eternal life, righteousness. What is the Sabbath? It's this day of rest. Well, look at verses 28 through 30 with me. What does Jesus say about the rest that we would attempt to earn from Sabbath keeping? Or any righteousness that we would attempt to to earn from anything else? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Where do we find rest? Where do we find relief? It's not in Sabbath keeping. We find it in Jesus. He is our Sabbath rest. Where do we find righteousness? It's not in doing a bunch of good things, because those good things will pile up to what amounts to nothing. Where do we find those good things? Where do we find righteousness? Jesus Christ. And when we, when we seek him first, then we can add all of those other things to our lives, 
as good things and right things. But keeping the Sabbath like the Pharisees will never gain us any kind of rest. Jesus alone is the rest that we need. So moving on, seeing the sin but missing the cure. So now, at this point in the story, they begin to doubt that he was ever blind. And so they find his his parents, and I like to call his parents Mr. and Mrs. Spineless. Though they must have been under a ton of pressure here, I understand, to stay connected to the synagogue, which in the Jewish community was, was life and, and community and their connection to God, really. But they ask his parents. They found his parents. They ask him, well, is this your son? What do you who you say was born blind. And his parents say, well, we know this is our son, and we know that he was born blind, but how he sees we don't know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He can speak for himself. Well, they defer to this man to speak for himself rather than risk being associated with Jesus at all. And think about this for a minute. As parents... I know my own protective instincts for my children. And so I can't imagine responding like this for one, but I can't also imagine the type of pressure that these folks must have been feeling. However, it really doesn't excuse their cowardice here. And so the Pharisees continue with this kangaroo court session, and they say to this man, well, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And I love the man's answer. He says, this is one of the greatest professions of faith in Scripture, I think. He says, I, whether this man is a sinner or not, I do not know. But what I do know, I was blind, and now I see. Whether he's a sinner, I have no idea. But I was blind, and now I see. We'll mention that a little bit later, but I want to go on. And he's questioned further, and I love his, he even finds a bit of wit here against these uh, intellectual types. Um, and they're, they continue to ask him questions. Uh, what did he do to you? This is the third time they've asked him this. How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you. You would not listen. Why do you want to hear it? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then he offers this great understanding of Jesus, Jesus as the one true worshiper of God, the one who really, truly does the will of God. And he offers this great testimony concerning Jesus that he's really from God, and that someone from God can do the works of God. He outmaneuvers the Pharisees with just a logical treatment of Jesus, Jesus' place, and his mission, and it's nothing that Jesus hasn't been saying about himself all along, right? What has Jesus been saying about himself all along? I am from God the Father, and I am now here to do the works of the Father. He has sent me to do these works. And of course, the Pharisees haven't liked it all along. Why would they like it now? And so they've heard enough. It says, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us. And they cast him out. So again, what are they focusing on? The sin of Jesus. 
they've missed all this evidence of Jesus that stood before them. Everything that he said he was, everything that you can see that he's doing that says who he is. They still act as if Jesus has never told them anything, where he's from, who sent him, because they don't want to hear it. And now a man stands before them healed, and they still won't believe. And I think for us, church, this is a great picture of the lost world. The lost world won't believe the words of Jesus. They won't believe the words here. They try desperately to fight against them. Then they'll say they're they're not real on the very same card, which doesn't make any sense. They won't believe our lives when we when they see our lives and they see that they're changed and we tell them about how our lives are changed, that we were blind and now we see. They can't. Because their hearts are hardened in their sin. It reminds me of Pharaoh in the Old Testament. Think about everything that was going on around Pharaoh. Think about what was going on in Egypt at the time that Moses was there and he was trying to set the people of the Lord free. There were the, the whole Nile River turned to blood. There were like frogs everywhere and gnats and, and the livestock are all dying and there's darkness that you can feel. And Pharaoh refuses to believe. Even as his country is crumbling around him, scriptures tell us that he kept hardening his heart toward God. Rather than acknowledge the Creator, he chose death. And the Pharisees, just think about what's going on here. They have all the evidence that one could ever possibly desire and ask for. Yet, they refuse to believe. And they can't believe, frankly, outside of the Spirit's work. And so I think that it might be easy for us, and honestly, one of the uh, accusations that we often get as Reformed believers is, well, if, 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 if the world is really that bad, and, and, the Spirit, and the world's waiting for the Spirit's work, then why... Share your testimony at all. Because we're asked to. Can you imagine this story if this blind man would have capitulated and not given us this great testimony? One thing I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. I mean, can you imagine if if we just let the lost world... Well, you know, this stuff about Jesus and the Bible, none of this is true. And we just went and hid and just waited. Obviously, that's not the right thing that we should do. We should not let this kind of hardening of hearts, we should not let this type of sin stop us from sharing our story. And it's a story that we share with this blind man. And obviously, again, we have the testimony of Scripture, which outweighs our own testimony by lots. But that shouldn't cause us to shy away from our own stories. What did Paul do when he was set face to face with a king? He told him his story about how the Lord Jesus changed him. 
And granted, not all of us have been thrown off a horse on the road to Damascus. However, we were all like this blind man in that we were all blind, and now we see. And if we are Christ's at all, we have this story. Whether you were raised up as a believer and you've never known a time where you you didn't know Jesus, hallelujah, that's awesome. Or you have another story where the Lord had to like pluck you out of death. And that's fine too. We all have this story. We are here because we are the ones that he came to save. And that should cause us to want to tell everybody. Can you imagine if we were this blind man sitting by the roadside having to beg for food and, and anything? And then a, a man walks by and makes us to see would we just like go lay on our couch and watch TV the rest of the day, we would want to tell everybody. And we should we should answer questions that we receive from Scripture, and Scripture is our final authority, but our own stories are a picture and should be a picture of what Scripture teaches. And so we should never shy away from using them. And so lastly... The last point is bowing at the feet of Jesus rather than our own. And I love how Jesus, verse 35, heard that they had cast him out, and he went and found him. You know, he likely had concern for this man in his new situation, so he goes and finds him. And, of course, Jesus uses this situation to talk about himself and salvation. And he asked the man point blank, do you believe? In the Son of Man. And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And I love what goes on here. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I mean, how many people in the book of John up to this point have heard Jesus say these same words about himself? And yet they run away, yet they seek to kill him. They seek to arrest him, all these different things. Yet this man, what does he do? He hears this about Jesus, and he bows and worships him. And again, the progression that this man goes through, think about it. I mean, he goes and washes when he's told to by a complete stranger that he can't see. Now he sees, he's asked about, and he says, I don't know, it was a man named Jesus. And then what does he state about Jesus? He's a prophet. And then he says, well, I was blind. I don't know anything about him, but I do know that I was blind and now I see and that he is from God. And now he sees the Lord Jesus face to face. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he bows and worships. And I think this is a great picture of belief and how it works. The spirit begins the work on a person usually long before they call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. And for this man, it began when his real eyes were finally fixed, or when his real eyes were open, but it ended when his real eyes finally saw Jesus, and he responded to him. The work of the Spirit in his life culminates with him bowing before Jesus. This is a great picture of our own lives and our own testimonies. And then Jesus, 
of course, uses this opportunity to show the exact opposite of that. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And of course, the Pharisees hear this and they're like, Well, is, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Since you think you don't need me, then you'll die with your own righteousness. Since you think me, or since you think you don't need me to see, then you have your reward in full, is what Jesus says in other places in the scriptures. When you stand before him with your own righteousness, you will be found wanting before a holy God. It is only the righteousness of Christ. It is only he that can fully make you to see. It is only he, the righteousness of Christ, that is sufficient for you. What did he say in Matthew chapter 5? He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. This is a perfect example of that. These Pharisees thought they were righteous. And what does he say? Because you say that we see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees thought they were pretty good people. But again, they relied on themselves rather than Jesus, bowing at their own altar rather than the feet of Jesus. If that's you, perhaps the Lord is speaking to you even now. If you realize that's you, he is speaking to you. Call upon the name of the Lord. Be saved. And for us as believers, let us remember that whatever it is that we might think can sustain us at all, that we think makes us better than everybody else, whatever that little thing is, Jesus is better. And he is adequate and he is necessary. Because the Pharisees had a list of things that, again, made them better. Without Jesus, they died, and they went to hell. So, brothers and sisters, in closing, cast off these things that aren't Jesus. Cling to him and him alone. He is what you need for salvation. He is where you'll find rest. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we all have these little things that we would love to use to make ourselves look better. But at the end of the day, we stand with this blind man, and it's because of you that we have sight. It's because of you that we can see our sin. It's because of you that we call out upon you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just help us to cast those things aside that weigh us down. Even those things that are good inherently, those things that we would take anything that we would try to replace your righteousness with, that you would help us to cast them off so that we might focus solely upon you, cling to you for our salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.